specifically about the, uh, the barrier, uh, the wall that Christ broke down, uh, how in order that gave all people, Jews and non-Jews, all Gentiles, equal access to God, because we are all equal in Him. We are together. We are the church. Today, as we jump into chapter 3, we see Paul starting to share a part of his story and how he expresses how his relationship with Christ impacts the reason the of output. this letter, specifically the Gentiles, and he shares that by talking about it in terms of uh, a mystery. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a good mystery, but I also love a good mystery. Maybe my favorite uh, mystery TV show uh, right now is uh, Sherlock Holmes on PBS, right? I just really enjoy that, the, the latest installment that's you know, just completed. Um, I love how he has the ability to observe and pick apart information and solve the murder or solve the puzzle using the smallest clue or the seemingly insignificant detail, right? Back in the day, one of the, my favorite things to, to my mystery brain was the Hardy Boys books. Anybody know those, right? There's also on TV uh, Murder, She Wrote, and Quincy M.E. Okay, anybody know those? I'm showing my age a little bit there. See, there you go. Everybody over here is like, what? Right? Um, those, those were great shows, right? Because it, it, it talked about uh, all those mystery things. They were figuring those things out. Today, there's popular TV shows like CSI, Fill in the Blank, of City, which, which you want to watch it in at that point, right? And then there's people. Oh, check on that. Are, are the killings. Uh, there's different things that, different TV shows that, that they invite us in. Okay, they draw you in because there's this mystery that they're seeing. The really good ones, you think you've got to figure it out like five times before you finally get revealed who it really is, who done it, right? Mysteries are, are, are good because they don't typically end the way we think they will. And in a way, that's what, what Paul is trying to do here in this letter. While he's not talking about a whodunit, uh, we don't need something that Sherlock Holmes or, or Jessica Fletcher to reveal this to us. It, it is in a very real sense what God is doing and ultimately what God has been doing from the very beginning, that that is now being realized for the people. God's desire and God's plan to reconcile people to himself is being made known, and as we will see, Paul has the privilege the opportunity, and even the responsibility to uncover this mystery for everyone. And so uh, we're going to dive into the text. Ephesians chapter 1, or chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the, the text says this. It says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, a couple of things to kind of take note of, which may matter, they may not, but hopefully it will all make sense, is that in verse 1, the verse I just read, Paul begins a thought, it's actually a prayer, but he doesn't continue with that prayer until you get to verse 14, all right? So we're not going to talk about this prayer today. We're going to talk about that next week. But he begins it here, and he talks about it in verse 14. But he begins the statement by saying, for this reason. Well, for what reason? Well, if you remember from chapter 2, Paul pointed out that we have unity in God in Christ. He also pointed out that we have a nearness to God. We have a notion of peace with God. We have unity between Jews and Gentiles. They have that we all have access to God, and we are together. We are the church, and all of this is made possible because of the dividing wall. The, the barrier wall was destroyed. That dividing wall of hostility has been broken down through the blood of Christ, and now everyone is on the same footing before God in Christ. And Paul says, "For this reason, I call a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles." Now, here's the test. Here's the pop quiz for you. Sure, you can come to church to have a quiz, but here you go. It's a one-question, three-parter. 
Where is Paul when he's writing this letter? In prison. Where is he in prison? In Rome. And who is he waiting to see? Caesar. Caesar. Good answer, right? <laughs> there you go. So you know these things. So he's in prison in Rome. He's, he's waiting to see Caesar. Okay, so that, that's where he is. Now, Paul says what though? He says, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. What's that all about? Isn't Paul really a, a prisoner of Rome or maybe even of Caesar? Well, technically, yes, but no. Well, Paul being in Rome in prison is his current reality, and he's not trying to give us some alternate facts, right? He's simply saying, hey, here's what I want you to understand. I don't want you to worry about me that I'm in jail. Because I'm not in jail because of any of that other stuff. I'm in jail because he saw himself in jail because of Christ. Because of what he was called to do. He was in prison as a result of his unswerving and sacrificial commitment to fulfill his divine commission to make the gospel message known to the Gentiles. Remember, while Paul was in prison, he wrote several letters to, to different churches. And those who read his letters, they would have been concerned about the fact that Paul was in prison. Not only because Paul began the churches where they attended, where they participated in worship, but also probably because many of the believers probably came into a relationship with Christ because of the message that Paul shared with them. Because Paul was the one who was sharing the message of Jesus with so many people, they probably came to faith because of Paul, and now they are concerned because the person they look up to, the person that they feel like was responsible for sharing Christ with them, that person is now in prison, and they're worried about him, which causes me to wonder, who is it that you would say shared the message of Jesus with you? Was it a parent or a friend, a spouse, a family member? Perhaps it was a preacher or an author or a musician or an experience you had? And I want you to think about that for just a moment. Who is it that you would say shared the message of Jesus with you? For me, primarily it was my mom. Now, while my, my church that I attended, you know, they, they taught me a lot about, about Jesus and about God through Sunday school and messages and plays and revival and all those different things. My mom showed me Jesus, the way she lived her life and how she taught us and how she set the example by serving and giving and living and how she just lived her life, how to, how to treat other people, how to love your family, and how to love other people as family. And while there have been countless numbers of people and books and music and events that have played a, a role and helped shape me and challenge me over the years, it all began because my mom was willing to live out the divine calling of her life and be who God created her to be. And so she still is today. So who was it for you? Who was it that, that shared the message of Jesus with you? More than likely, it was someone who was simply doing what they were led to do, whether specifically or by their convictions on how they lived their life, which begs the question, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as someone who influences others for Christ? Because the reality is, as a believer, you are. You are either influencing people for Christ or you're influencing them for something else. Paul saw himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles, and he sought to influence them for Christ. That was his divine calling. 
And so he says in verse 2, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, I don't want to go into so much detail that it becomes confusing, but this is worth pointing out. Much like verse 1, he begins and he resumes in verse 14. Verse 2, he begins a thought, but he doesn't pick that up until verse 13. And so if we read verses 2 and verse 13 together, it hopefully will make sense. It says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. I ask you, therefore... And what do we do when you see a therefore? We ask, what's it there for? Well, we don't even know yet because what it's, what it's there for, we find out in verses 3 through 12, right? So we can't even answer that question yet. We've kind of put this all together. He says, uh, you've heard about the administration of grace. So I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. It's almost like, you know, Paul starts this thought and then he gets interrupted. He's like, oh, yeah, I need to tell him this too. Have you ever had that happen in a conversation? Oftentimes that happens, and I'm like, well, what about that first thing you said, right? You have lost that. Paul gets there, and, and we most of the time do as well. But, but Paul is saying, hey, I want you to know I pray for you. I prayer he begins, and then he, he gets interrupted. He says, wait, I want you to know the reason I pray for you. And the reason I pray for you is because of the grace that God has given to me, and that is made possible because of all the things he talks about in verses 3 through 12. Now, we look again at verse 2. Paul's talking about God's grace. That's where his focus is. It's on the grace of God. And the grace not only brings about salvation for humanity and will ultimately redeem all of heaven and the whole of creation, but it also gives Paul the ability and the power and the will to carry out his calling, the calling that God gave him in his life. And I want to in, in try to convince you of the fact that the same thing is true for you and for me, for us. This is part of this dead, alive, remember what God has done for you language that Paul uses in this letter. Now, we need to remember who Paul was and why this was so important to him. Paul was Saul of Tarsus, who had an experience of becoming a believer and understanding the good news of Christ Jesus in a way that was very different than for most people. As a zealous Pharisee, he knew the Hebrew scriptures, and he was intimately familiar with the early Christian teachings and claims. And we see this in the way Paul persecuted church, and, and he went after the church, and he was motivated to kill those believers. And while on his way to Damascus to kill believers, he encountered Jesus. And this was the catalyst that set everything in motion for this monumental change in his beliefs, and what led him to a new theology, uh, and, and he concluded that based on the recognition that Jesus of Nazareth truly was the resurrected and living Messiah and Savior for all people. And since Paul knew the relevant scripture text, it didn't take him very long to grasp the significance of what God was doing through Jesus Christ. And he had to share that. And because of God's grace in his life, Paul was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He has, as one translation says, a responsibility to serve, a steward of grace for the Gentiles, for all the non-Jews. This is something he realized that was given not just to him for his own sake, but for all the Gentiles. That includes you and me. In verse 3, Paul describes this as a mystery. He says, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. And the content of this mystery is that Jesus is in fact the Christ. Something that they did not know, they did not understand. And, and while those of us who hear that today, if I say to you, did you know Jesus is the Christ? You're going to be like, yeah, right? You kind of hear that news and you're like, okay, and? It's not a big deal. But can you put yourself in the position of people who hear that for the very first time, that Jesus is the Christ and he's broken down the wall and all these things have happened so that you can have a relationship with him? Can you remember when you heard that for yourself for the first time? 
the joy and the peace and the love that, that floods your soul and your life when that happens? That's what these people would have been experiencing. That would have been true for people in Ephesus, for people in New Jersey. The realization and the understanding of what Jesus has done through God's power and the redemptive plan that includes all of us, that is life-changing news. It was then, and it still is today. And while Paul, back in chapter 1, verse 9, has already talked about this mystery in regard to the mystery of the will, here he includes this plan of salvation. Many religions in Asia Minor had these rituals that referred to them as mysteries, including uh, Artemis. So Paul uses very familiar language to reveal to them that this mystery has been uncovered, and it can be realized and recognized by all people because of Christ. And the amazing thing is, this is not some mystery that we have to figure out for ourselves. This is a mystery that God has revealed to us. God's plan, this, this mysterious plan, was to include all people in his free gift of salvation. And sometimes I think we lose uh, the impact of what it means to have that mystery revealed in our own life and for us to have a saving relationship with Christ. For whatever reason, we fail to genuinely discover and experience how the amazing truth of God's love and his grace and his mercy can change our lives because of what Christ has done. And we just kind of take that for granted and we just sit on it. And we don't do anything with it. You see, the message Paul is sharing in this letter is the same message we have today. We were dead, but because of Christ, we can have life. And as believers, we need to allow that to not only change us, but to motivate us in the way we live our lives. Paul says in verse 4, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. He says, I want you to see and understand that I'm sharing God's plan for you, that this that was formerly a mystery is now being revealed to you. This mystery, verse 6, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. This would have been the best news that they could have ever heard. No longer were they on the outside looking in, but Paul is affirming what he has said previously, that they are united in Christ, they are united with each other, and he says, hey, I want to point out to you the ways in which this is true. He says, number one, you are heirs with Israel. That is such a big deal that we don't really understand. But to the Gentiles, this would have been huge. Earlier in chapter 1, Paul tells them they are heirs with the Holy Spirit. Later in chapter 5, he will talk to them about being heirs in the kingdom of God. But here, he's talking about, after talking about this, this wall of hostility being destroyed, he reveals to them that they are now standing on equal share with the Jews in the inheritance of God, both now and in the future. And that would have been incredible news for them. He also tells them they're members together of one body. The two are made one. They are one body, the church, reinforcing what we learned in chapter 2. He also says that they share together in the promise of Christ Jesus. By entering into a relationship with Christ because of what God has done, the Gentiles become children of Abraham, and their union with him includes all of the promises given to Israel. And that is great news. And that is great news for us as well. And we need to understand and allow the text to penetrate our life and our soul and let that make a difference in our life, that that is true for us as well. Beginning in verse 7, Paul shares his role, and he says this, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me. 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created, who created all things. Paul is essentially saying, hey, look, I want you to understand that the reason I'm doing this, and the only way I can do this, is because of the power of God's grace working in me. Paul saw his responsibility as a privilege, and that compelled him to share Christ. It was as though he felt that this was not something he was worthy of doing. He was not worthy of the task set before him, but because of grace, he could do it. And I think partially that's because of the way Paul had persecuted the church and persecuted believers. He saw himself as nothing, as the least of the least, which makes what God is doing through him even more amazing. Paul was charged with sharing the unsearchable riches of Christ, or maybe a better way to understand that is to read it as the incomprehensible or the unfathomable or the inexhaustible riches of Christ, the riches of grace and the power for salvation, for life, and for bringing all those things into unity. And what is significant, and this is the part we need to understand, is that what was true for Paul is true for us as well. Not only does God's mysterious plan reveal that we are accepted by God, but we've also been given the endless set of resources because we are in Christ. In Christ, we have blessings and power and authority and grace and salvation. We have everything that the kingdom has to offer. We have opportunities to serve and to give and to love and to share. And we see that we were not given the resources of heaven just to be in relationship and be content with that. No, we are called to make Christ known. Look at verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how does this happen? How is he made known? What does the text say? Who's responsible for it? His intent was that now, through the church. And what's the church? Of the mouth of babes, right? <laughs> Us. Certainly not this building, right? It's not our ministry and program. That's not the church. It's not just you. It's not just me. It's us. We are the church. And what's our responsibility? We have the opportunity and the responsibility to make known what God has accomplished through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I've I just got to tell you, that involves more than just coming to church on Sunday morning when it's convenient. It involves more than just preparing a message or listening to a message or more than just singing songs and being polite to people for an hour on a Sunday morning. It's realizing that in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. The walls are down. The barriers have been removed. And the question we have to wrestle with, and I think we really need to start wrestling with this question, is how are we going to respond to the freedom and the confidence that is available to each and every one of us in Christ Jesus our Lord? Will we continue to just kind of be content within ourselves? Or will we allow that truth to begin to permeate our life, to influence how we live and how we give and how we invest in each other, how we serve, how we love? You see, I would suggest that living in the grace that God has given us, and I would go so far as to say we all want that grace, don't we? We all want the grace of God. We know that we need that in our life. But to have that, it also means living a life using the gifts he's given us by his grace. It means 
that God makes a difference not just in our eternal life, but in our daily life as well. That doesn't always happen when it's nice and easy or convenient or when everything's going right in the world. Paul points to the fact that we are to use those gifts in the midst of struggles, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of sacrifice, in the midst of uncertainty, in the face of rejection, when it's not always easy, when it's not always comfortable. But because we have the love of God and his grace in our life, which has united us with him, and it gives us the power to unite with each other, we cannot help but show his love because in him we discover and we experience his grace. And that gives us the strength to make it through each day, but also the ability to love the way Christ loves us. And Christ did whatever it took to enter into a relationship with us so we can enter in with him. And we are called to love other people the same way. When I am weak in myself, then I can be made strong. He is the one who will never leave you or never forsake you. He is our refuge in times of trouble. He is our mighty God who is able to give us life. He is our hope and our strength and our love and our life. Amen? And if you're here today and you're not experiencing the life that, that Christ wants you to have, I've got really good news for you. Regardless of the circumstances of life, or the policies, or the orders, or the changes, or the doubt, the fear, or the uncertainty, he's inviting you to put your faith and your hope and your trust in him. He gave his life so that we could have life. And it is a privilege to be with you here today and to invite you that if you've never placed your trust in him, that he's inviting you to do that, to confess him as your savior, to, to invite him to be Lord of your life. And we want to invite you, we want to challenge you to do that today. Maybe you're here today and, and you've done that in your life, but, but you're just not letting that affect your life. It's, it's just something you've done. It's not a, a present reality in your life. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you to, to stop trying to live by your own strength and your own power and on your own wisdom and your own truth and to begin relying on God. To begin relying on His grace and His truth that he's given to us through Jesus Christ. You see, God is inviting us to respond to him today. He's saying, I I've done this for you, and, and I'm, I'm inviting you into this situation because I've given you my grace and my love and my truth, and, and I've broken down the walls, and, and I've made it possible for you to have union with God and union with each other. And so he's saying, would you respond to that? Would you accept that? Would, would you make that your reality? God is inviting you to respond to him today. In just a few moments, we're going to have a time of communion. And while we're participating in communion, it's also an opportunity for us to respond today as well. In just a few moments, the ushers are going to pass the trays. They're going to pass a tray that contains bread, which represents Jesus' body. And they're going to pass a tray that contains juice, which represents Jesus' blood. And it's a time for us to acknowledge what Jesus did for us on the cross to make all this possible. It's an opportunity for us to acknowledge and to remember his sacrifice and to praise him for what he has done when he gave his life for us on the cross. It's also a time for us to consider how we will respond to him, to evaluate our willingness to make him Lord. After we partake uh, in communion, uh, the band's going to lead us in a song, and it's going to provide an opportunity for us to, to worship together through song. And during that song, 
Maybe for you today, you need to talk to someone about what it means to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you want to talk to someone about what it means to, to begin walking with him again or to be challenged and what that looks like to have that relationship or relationship with each other and just all the things that that looks like. Or maybe there's something going on, going on in your life and you just want someone to pray with you and to just know that you're not alone. During the song that we sing, we're going to invite you to make your way over toward the cross. Our members of the prayer team and the leadership team will be there to receive you. We'll pray with you and talk with you and just begin walking down that path together as we seek to honor the Lord and to serve him and worship him together. So let's worship the Lord as we partake in communion. Let's worship him as we respond to him. Let's be willing to humble ourselves and give our lives to him as we seek to honor him with our life here today. Let's pray together and we'll partake in communion. Father God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the way in which you've given us life. Jesus, thank you for your willingness to, to go to the cross on our behalf. Thank you for this opportunity we have to remember your sacrifice, to remember your love, to celebrate your grace, and to walk with you. Father, I pray that you would convict our hearts, that you would remove the doubts from our mind and help us to focus in on you and on you alone. We love you, Father. Thank you so much for loving us. Your son's in the